Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And a very happy Sunday to you and welcome once again to from the diamond right here on sports radio 92, nine, the game Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia studios. And we are happy to be talking about another eventful and fun week for the Atlanta Braves as they have continued their red hot month of June. They took a series from the San Francisco giants. Then we had all the emotions dumped out on Friday, Saturday, and I'm sure into Sunday between the Braves and the Dodgers, Corey, and there's a lot going on in the baseball world. So happy to be with you and, Man, we're going to be busy the next couple hours. This is an absolute insane week in baseball. You mentioned Freddie Freeman returning to Atlanta. The Yankees get no hit by the Astros, and then Houston flirts with another on Sunday. Bryce yeah. Harper breaks his finger. There's an absolute <laughs> brawl between the Mariners and Angels. And it was just on and on and on this week. It, it kind of feels like baseball's version of WrestleMania or something because you look up and down the card, and there's yeah, match full. after match after match after match after match, and they're all different stipulations, all different kinds of news. So if you'll uh, pardon me with the... Uh, I, I guess the uh, the analogy, if you will, of how exactly baseball and wrestling and perhaps life can work sometimes. We do have an awful lot to get into, and we always like to start by discussing the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. And as I mentioned, this has been a good week for the Braves, Corey. I mean, they came off of that long 29-game stretch against sub-500 clubs and doing exactly what they needed to do. They are still sitting, as we go into Sunday Night Baseball, with the best record in the month of June They have been on a roll, and they just took three out of four from a very capable Giants team that has aspirations of winning in the National League West, only to turn around and welcome our old friend Freddie Freeman back to town with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who routinely find themselves with the best record in all of baseball for things much longer than one month. Corey, this is exactly what the Braves needed to do, was to pass this litmus test, I believe you've called it, and uh, thus far to this point, depending on the outcome of Sunday, they have done a pretty nice job. Yeah, I think you have to be pleased with the efforts that they've given, and certainly it's not going to get any easier. I mean, the, the Phillies you were dealt a really yeah. I mean, a devastating blow this weekend with Bryce Harper and his broken finger, and we'll see. You know, He's going in for an MRI Monday to figure out whether or not he's going to need surgery, but um, you know, certainly this was a time period where you were going to figure out what this team was really made of. I mean, I thought they did really well against the the Giants. They got some strong pitching efforts there, and then certainly you know, dealing with all the emotions. It wasn't just Freddie Freeman that was dealing with those emotions. You saw Ian Anderson mm-hmm. early in that start. He was dealing with it as well. There was a lot going on uh, Friday night at Truist Park, and um, then certainly to rebound like they did Saturday, Max Freed was just absolutely sensational. So uh, a lot of positives going on right now with the Braves. Yeah, it, it truly was uh, quite a weekend a surreal scene. I've never seen anything quite like what I saw on Friday night with Freddie Freeman's return. You knew it was going to be emotional. You knew there was going to be some gravity to it, some weight. You knew people were going to be feeling all kinds of different ways. And, of course, we knew that Freddie Freeman had waited and determined that this is when I want to get my World Series ring when I come back to the place that I called home for so long. And, you know, putting aside, you know, getting lost in the weeds on recapping everything that has happened, we know where we are right now. It was such an emotional day. 
and I'm thinking that it has a lot of different repercussions that will come from it or after effects that will come from finally having this weekend and getting over with it or getting it over with. And then for Freddie, you know, the quote that really stuck out to me was he's not looking for closure. He's not looking to close this chapter altogether. He's just needing to turn the page, I think, is how I would describe it. I think it was hard to watch Freddie Freeman in that press conference and not think, man, this guy wishes things had turned out differently. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that was yeah. that was the number one point throughout the thing. And certainly he's a guy, you know, in our dealings with him over the years, wears his emotions on his sleeve. That's just who he is. And mm-hmm. I think it obviously came to the forefront. It's, it's interesting, though, because obviously he decided he wanted his World Series ring now. He didn't want it when they came to a, uh, L.A. earlier in the season. He wanted it here. He wanted it in front of this fan base. And you got to think he had a lot of time to figure out what was this going to feel like. And I don't even think he was prepared for what this was going to feel like, number one, and then the way that the Braves fans reacted to him. I thought, you know, the ovation that he got, you know, when he got the ring, his first A.B. It, later in that game, he had more of that killer look to him when he <laughs> yeah. was at the plate. But, I mean, he just looked just overwhelmed by everything. And, um, man, I, I mean, you said it. I, I, I've not seen anything like that in all my years of covering sports because guys will leave and they'll come back, and there's obviously a relationship, existing relationship with the fan base. But to have it hit him so hard, uh, man, it, it was it was absolutely emotions in the sleeves. So. Yeah, I mean, it was a very raw, emotional, and vulnerable state that Freddie Freeman found himself in. I was sitting in that big media assembly, if you will, waiting for him to you know, address what was sure to be an emotional weekend. And, you know, he had to come in and then leave and then come back. And then it was seven or eight long minutes of waiting for him to come back and then seven or eight long minutes of trying to compose himself and get through those questions. I know people have had a chance to see the video. I know they've had a chance to you know, watch the games and the highlights, to read about it. And I know this is a story that for a lot of people, they'll be happy when we turn the page from this weekend and move on to the Braves just, you know, playing baseball. And uh, to a lesser extent, I'm sure that you know there's a contingent of the Los Angeles side of things that probably says, okay, good, we've got that one out of the way. Now let's go play our baseball with our first baseman. There's a lot of different things at play here, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's been a very interesting thing to monitor and to quote the movie Tomb. Stone. I haven't seen anything like that. I've never even heard of anything like that. It was just quite an emotional night. I thought Clayton Kershaw's quotes to the AJC were really interesting. And he said he's obviously been a big contributor for our team, and I hope he's we're not second fiddle. It's a pretty special team over here, too. I think whenever he gets comfortable over here, he'll really enjoy it. I thought that was really interesting because yeah. even a guy who is as seasoned, who's as seen as much and done as much as Clayton Kershaw, realizing being around Freddie Freeman that he's not a hundred percent you know, in his place as part of this Dodgers team and feeling 100% in place as a Dodger. So uh, I just, you know, obviously everyone around him is feeling it. I, I thought it was really cool on Friday night that he went out and took that extra time while the rest of the Dodgers are preparing for the game. Because we know, you know, once they get done with their with BP and all that, it's, you know, it's business time before you yep. go out and take the field. And the fact that he spent all that extra time out there with the fans and, um, you know, it's, I, I think – I think you can say whatever whatever feelings you have about the way Freddie Freeman left and the, what he's uniform he's in right now, you can't have any issue with the way he handled things on Friday. I thought he did it. It was it was to a T. No, I, I think that it was, and I don't know that there was quite enough time, even though you knew he had the extra couple of months to figure out. You never know how you're going to feel till you get in the moment sometimes, and I think for Freddie Freeman that moment was very big. For a lot of Braves fans, it was as well, and it was, I, I think, as much as anything, the opportunity to celebrate and some cherished memories and to – 
you know, let someone know the appreciation, both from Freddie's side and from the fan base's side. It was good to see all of that play out. Of course, we're going to talk about a lot of things because we mentioned it's a very busy week for the Braves. It's not just about Freddie Freeman coming back, getting a World Series ring, and being the Los Angeles Dodgers' first baseman. It's also about what has made the Braves so good. And when you think about what makes the Braves so good every fifth day, we got another showing of Maximum Freed on Saturday night. This guy was dialed in. He was carving up the Dodgers lineup until he finally ran into some seventh-inning trouble as he just wasn't quite able to put away Cody Bellinger, who ended his night by sneaking an RBI single up the middle. It certainly beat the three-run homer off the foul pole that nearly happened right before that, but take nothing away from it, Corey. Max Fried is now leading the National League in Fangrass wins above replacement. He's second in all of Major League Baseball among pitchers, this is. This is a guy who has stepped up, and it's not just, well, Max Fried is one of the best pitchers here. He's one of the best left-handers. Max Fried is now one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Dave Roberts said as much, you know, before the yeah. game, on before his start. He said, you know, he is the best left-hander in the game right now, and he knows a thing or two about left-handed greatness. I mentioned, sure you know, Clayton Kershaw, obviously. Julio Urias has started as well. He said as, as far as his ability to go through the lineup three times, the pitch mix, it's electric stuff. If you go back... To the start of 2020, Max Fried has a 2.16 ERA against teams with a winning record. That's 24 stars, including Saturday night. That's the best in the game. He's joined in the top five by Julio Urias, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Carlos Rodon, and Corbin Burns, and he is 12 and one in those games. A 9.23 winning percentage. The best in baseball. Big game, Max. Yes. And we saw it on Saturday. Absolutely. Big game pitcher. That's one of the best runs that you can get on for multiple seasons. It's not, hey, remember when he beat this team or that team or when he got his ankle stepped on and beat the Astros in the final game of the World Series, though we'll never forget that. It's more than just that moment for Max Free. This is the consistency of the greatness that the Braves want to see. And it was on display again as Atlanta won in dramatic fashion on Saturday, thanks to a couple of well-timed home runs and that Max Fried start, of course. Now, if Max Fried is doing it all on the mound, I think it's fair to say Dansby Swanson's doing everything else for the Braves just about everywhere else. He's at the plate. He's on the base pass. He's in the field. This, we've talked about, is not just some hot streak. It's not just a week or two of good Dansby Swanson, then a week or two where you wonder where he went at the plate. It's consistent greatness, Corey. We're talking about a run of 65 or 70 games now for Dansby, who has become one of the best shortstops in baseball in just about every possible metric you can look at. When you look at the leaderboards on Fangraphs or MLB.com or Baseball Reference or wherever you like to get your statistics, you find Dansby Swanson at or near the top when you start sorting through the shortstops. This is an all-star caliber campaign, Corey, and suffice it to say, if Dansby continues to play this way, he might just play himself into an MVP caliber campaign. Yeah, I'm not of the betting mind here, but for those who are, I mean, he is still a massive long shot in the NL MVP sure. odds. I mean, if you look at Caesar Sportsbook there, he's 20th in the NL. He's fifth on his own team behind Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, Matt Olson, and Ozzie Albies, who we know Ozzie Albies is obviously on the shelf right now. Right. But, man, the numbers from Swanson are insane. He's the Braves leader with 3.6 fan graph war, which is seventh in all of baseball, Third in the NL behind Manny Machado and Paul Goldschmidt. In the month of June, he has a 2-0 war, the best in baseball. Seven homers in that month, only behind Mike Trout. I mean, hitting 392 since May 23rd. You and I talked about this a little bit on Battery Power TV, but I thought it was, it's, it's really wild to me the changes that you've seen over him over these past few years. He is hitting to opposite field with authority now. He's doing it at the highest rate of his career, mm-hmm. has the most extra base hits to the right side in his career. You are seeing a fully formed version of Dansby Swanson who can hit for power, hit for average, 
and man, it's well time with him hitting, hitting free agency this winter. Yeah, we are, and as you said, it's going to all fields. I mean, these home runs he's been hitting lately, seven home runs this month. They've all mm-hmm. come in his last 15 games, including heading into last night, or including last night on Saturday night's home run to get the Braves scoring started. Four home runs in his last four games. Of course, he had a two-for-one on one of those days, but regardless, Dansby's found that power stroke, and he is hitting long home runs to the deepest part of the ballpark, so we're not just seeing wrapping it inside the foul pole, knocking a couple of home runs to the pole side, and then, well, who knows what's going to happen if it turns back into the ups and downs that we've seen from him in the past. It really seems like he has truly figured a lot of things out, and it's doing damage against not just fastballs, but also sliders as well, enough so that pitchers can't just decide, well, we're just going to just give him a steady diet of nothing but this until he proves he can hit it. That's something that I think all young hitters have to deal with, and I know Dansby was not immune to that a couple of three years ago, I believe, maybe 2018, 2019. He was dealing with so many sliders, and he was having so much trouble with it, and this kind of sounds like the Austin Riley story as well, by the way, but he has managed to find a way to turn that corner and been an absolutely integral part of the Braves' turnaround here in the month of June, and he's part of a bigger overall slugging collective in this lineup. The Braves are leading the National League in home runs this se- this season, with 110 of those heading into Sunday. Only the Yankees have hit more. No club in the National League is over the 100 mark in home runs, except for the Atlanta Braves. And they have, if you like this, in terms of how are we trending, the Braves have outscored the Mets this month by 42 runs. Now, that doesn't mean the Mets have hit a tailspin and started losing at a rate that has completely opened the door. It's also what the Braves have done to trim five and a half games off of the Mets' lead since the start of the month. But if you're looking going forward, if you're forecasting how these two clubs are trending, the Atlanta offense is hitting its stride. The Mets' offense, meanwhile, as we've talked about some of the peripherals, and if you get inside the analytics, you have to wonder, are they going to be able to keep pace here? As long as Pete Alonso is hitting like this, I don't know that they're going to slow down anytime soon. I mean, Pete Alonso has put up some serious numbers. He's probably in that MVP discussion as yep. well, and we'll see how they're able to do it. But the Braves slugging and the Braves offense in general, that collective, we knew that was going to be the lifeblood, the driving force behind the Braves' success here in 2022. we got much more to get to here on this week in Braves baseball, and coming up, you'll hear my conversation with Braves closer Kenley Jansen. That's next on From the Diamond, right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios. This is From the Diamond, part of Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, your regular Sunday lineup. You can get your baseball talk right here. If you like what you're hearing, you can also subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast and find us on the Odyssey app. Corey, we talked about What a crazy week this is for the Braves. They had some emotions going on throughout the weekend. When we get to our little trip around the big leagues later, we'll have a lot to talk about with other emotions happening for some other teams, in particular the Angels and the Mariners, who might have let their emotions get the best of them in a not-so-great way. But this emotional weekend for Freddie Freeman, uh, we've talked a lot about this, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about it as we continue on through the show, but he's not the only one who was having a homecoming against a former team. Kenley Jansen has already been back to Los Angeles and kind of gone through his own of this. But when the Braves lost Freddie Freeman, and then the immediate aftermath, the news came across that Atlanta signs all-star closer Kenley Jansen. That caught me by surprise. I know it caught you by surprise as well, but I would say that he has fit in quite nicely here, Corey. I mean, the cutter is absolutely what you expect from Kenley Jansen. A.J. Minter told me, as a guy who throws one, he's just in awe of the way that Kenley can hit it to all quadrants. I mean, he moved on up to sole place of 10th possession now in, uh, in the all-time saves league, getting past Jonathan Papelbon. He's at mm-hmm. 370. 
Um, yeah, he's uh, the fact that Will Smith was able to, was willing to to kind of cede the uh, overall saves job to him. Uh, man, it's, he's he's been a fantastic addition to that bullpen. Yeah, speaks a lot to being able to add an arm as good as Kenley Jansen has been for as long as he's been. I think he's on a path that could lead him up to Cooperstown before it's all said and done. And I had a chance to catch up with Braves closer Kenley Jansen to discuss his career, the cutter, the pitch that's made him so good, and what it's like playing for the team that he grew up cheering for. I'm here with Braves closer Kenley Jansen. I'm excited to sit down with you and talk about what I'm sure has been an eventful couple of three months in your career. So long in the Dodger blue, now wearing the Braves colors. What has this first couple of months been like here in Atlanta? Man, it's awesome. Like I say, it's just a childhood organization that I've grown up, you know, rooting for. You know, my whole family was rooting so big for Atlanta, Atlanta Braves. And for me, it's awesome. It's awesome to get this opportunity to wear this uniform. It's a dream come true, so uh, I'm enjoying it so far. And, you know, yeah, it's also emotional being with the organization for 17 years and your heart, you know, is in that. You give everything that you get, and now you're moving on from them and to be in a different uniform but also feel home being here in Atlanta. And, you know, I wanted to start this journey, and hopefully we can take this thing on and, and repeat another championship here. Sounds like the best of both worlds because you mentioned you know, it being a dream of yours, being from Curacao, and of course Andrew Jones carving out such a legacy with the Atlanta Braves. Your connection to baseball, I would imagine that Andrew Jones was kind of at the forefront of that. Yeah, for sure. You know, like I said, I grown up, you know, was watching the Braves, and before Andrew came up, you know, big Fred McGriff fan, and the 1995, I still remember it like yesterday. Yeah. Then 1996, when Andrew came up, it really gave me that hopes that this is so awesome seeing hitting two homers in the World Series in Yankee Stadium. You know, he become my idol. He become the guy from Curacao that, you know, you're looking up to and hopefully one day I could do that. And, you know, talking about a few decades later, I'm wearing the same uniform that he wears. So, you know, it, it feels special, you know, and I will never forget wearing this uniform for sure. Now, your path to the big leagues and to the success that you've had as a closer actually is a little bit unorthodox. A lot of folks know this story. You were a catcher when you started your career. I was kind of curious, you know, when you make a transition like that, was it more of an idea that you had, or did somebody come to you and say, hey, we really like your arm and we want you to try out this pitching thing? I I did a few times in the league pitching, and I was good at it, but then always being a catcher, I never thought that, you know, I have that in me, so... You know, I think sometimes people have to see your hidden talent that you have. And I have to be, like you say, being humble and accept it. You know, it was hard for me to accept in the beginning, but then just give it a try. And so far, it's a blessing. Uh, it happened so fast. And now, you know, it's my year 13 in big leagues and I'm still going strong. So I got to appreciate all those guys who helped me, like Dijon Watson at that time and Logan White at that time. You know, those guys... They see it. They see the talent. And Charlie Huff bring that joy. I can never forget him. And that's that's like a godfather for me in this game. You know, um, he bring that joy for me. You know, I was bitter at that time. And, you know, every day I was coming in dedicated at 11 a.m. with Franklin Stubbs, you know, former Dodgers. Um, I think he was coaching here also, too, in my leagues. Yeah. So I got to thank all those guys, man, that you know, make this happen for me. You know, I was driving with Franklin Stubbs every day to the ballpark and being with Charlie Huff every day we was working. He was showing me picture for Nolan Ryan and all those guys and, you know, teach me from ground how to pitch and it's fun. And I'm still looking for him and 
I got to thank Rick Onicott also, too. For me, learning to pitch in the big league, I was still in the learning process, and it happened so quick that, you know, like, he takes it over, man. He takes it over, and, you know, rest in peace, Kenny Howell. He helped me a lot, big time, too. And, man, I, I still will have those guys in my heart. I still stay in touch with, like, guys like Honeys and, and Charlie. You know, I just got to continue to go. You know, it's, it's fun. You know, they say it takes a village sometimes to get you where you need to get. And this path and all of those guys, they kind of poured into you the knowledge from so many generations of baseball, really. And ultimately, when it comes down to what Kenley Jansen is known for, when you come in and slam the door, you have a signature pitch, much like Mariano Rivera had that same signature pitch, the cutter. It's a little different for the two of you, obviously. How did you develop the cutter, and when did you recognize that, hey, this is a pitch that could really take my game to the next level? You know, uh, I talked to my Brazilo, Borzi. I think he was with the Cubs. He was with the Dodgers also, too, bullpen catcher. He was a bullpen catcher for Mariano Rivera also in the Yankee days. And it's the same thing he told me. It's a God-given pitch. Like, Mariano has it natural. I has it natural. So, you know, when I find out it was natural, you know, then I start to just throw the ball. Just throw the ball. And it's naturally going to cut. And... That's my signature pitch still today, and, you know, I happen to develop a curveball, slider, slash slider, you can say, and, and a two-seamer with it. So, so far, that cutter, like, you can see, like, hitters still looking for it, you know, because I understand the pitch can be so great, and it's tough for them to reach to it, but they have to, you know, talking to hitters, they have to really cheat on it. And that makes me develop a pitcher like slider now and two-seamer that, you can kind of say I reinvent myself a little bit in my later career now. And the cutter is still happening, man. The cutter is still deep pitch for me. Yeah, I think it's been deep pitch that a lot of hitters have gone back to the dugout still trying to figure out. And it's vaulted you into the top 10 all time in saves. So congratulations to you for that and accomplishment. And of course, still many left out there to get. And as you've come over to the Atlanta Braves, this club didn't get off to the start that it wanted to, but really found itself here in the month of June. How would you describe the change that happened over the last three or four weeks? Because now the Braves feel like the club that everyone expected, and I'm sure you guys expected to be when you broke camp. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a little expected that these guys have to battle last year. They had a battle test against Milwaukee with such a great pitching. And then they really had a battle test against the Dodgers. And when once they passed the Dodgers, that belief got even bigger for them. And I think that once they beat, you know, when I was in the Dodgers, beat us, I can say, when I was in the Dodgers, you could have tell that, you know, no team is going to stop them, you know. And for them to be on that high mountain and then start a new year, of course, it's a little expected that things might be a little slow. The good thing is, man, we have such great players. And, man, the united of how this team is, you know, Heredia, his energy that he brings every day on the bench, in the clubhouse it's unbelievable and it's awesome man to see you know that we picked it up and this is the team that they showed that they built to do it again and we had the potential to do it again and hopefully we stay healthy Aussie came back in the end and you know guys like Kirby Yates, Soroka, you know Rosario this team this team is going to be uh, unreal you know and still Tyler Magic still is out there so to me those are the players for me it's like the trade deadline, you could say. If you get all those guys back healthy, it's a dangerous team, man. And I feel like we can beat any single team with this team that we have. 
Yeah, it's an incredible team on an incredible run right now, climbing the National League East standings, climbing in the wild card standings, doing all the things that you want to do as you approach the All-Star break. And I want to flash back just for a moment because you just mentioned Ozzy Albies, and obviously he is also from Curacao. Um, I don't know what level of friendship you guys had before. I would imagine there was a little bit of camaraderie there, but what's it been like being teammates with Ozzy over the first few months of this year? It's a blessing, man. It's a blessing to have him around. You know, he brings that joy and the energy you know he's young and it's a dream also for me that wanted to play with one of the Curacao teammates and me and him I was jokingly talking to him like man you know maybe next year we'll join you know like let's see what's happening I want to do that and next thing you know you know here I am in the Braves uniform and it's awesome having him around, man. Definitely miss him right now, you know, but hopefully he can get healthy soon and come back and help us keep winning ballgames. Let me wrap up with this. Obviously, you spent your career with the Dodgers. You come to the Braves. Freddie Freeman spends his career with the Braves. He goes to the Dodgers. It's a big weekend with Freddie making his return. Earlier this season, though, you made your return to Dodger Stadium. What are those emotions like for a player that's been so long? You mentioned 17 years in that organization. What do you feel like are some of the things that Freddie might be feeling when he walks into Truist Park and has to take that turn to go to the visitors' clubhouse? I think he definitely will be emotional, I believe. For him... It's different because he just won a championship with the Braves. And now he's going to get his ring ceremony. So it's going to be an emotional weekend for him. And, you know, hopefully, you know, he can manage that. And for me, it was the same thing, you know, like, I won't say a same, but, you know, still so long with the Dodgers and got back there. And when you hear the cheering, you just break down and you try to hold your tears in. It was great. It was weird experience to be on the visitor side. And I'm sure it's going to be a weird experience for him to be on a visitor side. Well, Kenley Jansen, I appreciate all the time. Continued success this year. Welcome to Atlanta. I know you've been here for a minute. I know that's the song that you use when you come out of the bullpen, but I appreciate all the time and look forward to seeing you slamming the door for the Braves for the remainder of 2022 and perhaps beyond. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to. So uh, great for having me. And yeah, continuing the roll now. Now, the Braves have been on quite a roll. That was all-star closer Kenley Jansen, a new addition to the Braves this offseason and what was a very memorable uh, offseason for both these clubs for a variety of reasons, Corey. And as we get back into things here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, I look at the Braves and Dodgers' budding rivalry, which I think kind of started in earnest in 2018 because the Braves came out of nowhere, and, yeah, they didn't get past the Dodgers. In fact, they realized, all right, we accomplished some things. Now we're going to have to accomplish more. Fast forward to 2020, these two had a back-and-forth battle in the, in the National League Championship Series. Of course, we know what happened in 2021. The Braves got the best of the Dodgers. They got over that hurdle and over that bar. But as you look across both sides, it's not just Freddie Freeman going to Los Angeles. Kenley Jansen coming to the Braves is a big deal. Craig Kimbrell somehow ending up in Los yeah. Angeles with the Dodgers is another one to look at. I mean, Travis Darno was a Dodger for about a week in 2020, or in 2019, rather, but that's probably not one of the bigger chapters here. But even Alex Anthopoulos came out of the Dodgers' front office to join the Braves' front office. These are two teams that know each other extremely well at this point, and this, I do think, is one of the better rivalries in the National League. Yeah, and if you can dial it back, you want to think about, you know, the Matt Kemp deal that paved the way for Ronald Cunha Jr. back in the day that sent him to the Dodgers. You think about the ill-fated Hector Oliveira deal that ends up with Alex Wood, you know, and ultimately being a Dodger and 
Uh, it only helps to heighten it that they, they look like the two of the three best teams in the National League right now, obviously meeting for the last two NLCSs, the winners of the last two World Series, um, looking like they could be on a collision course again, but I think the Mets you know, might get a little muddy the water there. But Three-way dance is th- what I'm hearing. There you go. Um, I mean, certainly there's a lot of parallels with Jansen and Freeman. They both spent 12 years with their respective teams before flipping sides. Um, you know, the Craig Kimbrell thing is definitely a weird, like, little side jaunt through this that he ended yeah. up going from the White Sox to the the Dodgers. But, um, yeah, these, I mean, the, the rivalry's been a lot of fun to watch. And the fact that, you know, Acuna had one of his biggest moments of his postseason mm-hmm. career against Walker Bueller um, in 2018. And uh, it just goes on and on with these clubs. Yeah, and it's kind of, for, for Ronald, really, that was kind of the moment where, yeah, people were starting to know who he was, but that was the national stage of I have arrived, a big playoff moment for him with that Grand Slam home run. And sure, he wasn't around for the latest battle between these two clubs in October of 2021, but I'm sure Ronald would like to lace them up and get out there and have a chance to battle the Dodgers in some October baseball. He's a little banged up right now, not in the lineup for Sunday night baseball, but hopefully Ronald will be back in there sooner than later as the Braves will have an off day on Monday, a couple of days to rest up for their star outfielder. When we come back, we will get into lots more Braves and baseball talk as we get into three up and three down, six of the biggest stories from Major League Baseball from the week that was right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. All right, play your place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. We've had a lot of fun talking about what's going on for the Atlanta Braves, who, of course, are in action on Sunday Night Baseball. It's been an eventful week already for Atlanta between beating the Giants in three out of four of the series and then welcoming home Freddie Freeman and the Dodgers to town for a three-game weekend series, and that'll wrap up again on Sunday night. But it's also been a very eventful week around the world of baseball, and we'll get to fight night in Anaheim on a future edition of From the Diamond. But, Corey, we got our three up and three down, six of the biggest stories from Major League Baseball this week, and I want to lead it off with something that happened on Saturday night as the Houston Astros fired a combined no-hitter at the New York Yankees on Saturday. So I haven't gotten the official ruling from Noah Syndergaard, who is probably busy given the events out in Anaheim today and whether or not he'll recognize a combined no-hitter. But regardless, Christian Javier struck out 13 men over seven innings, combined with Hector Neris and Ryan Presley to hold New York hitless in a 3-0 victory. Now, it might not sound like a big deal when a club gets no-hit because, you know, we see it. It happens quite a few times a year, typically. But this was the first time the Yankees have been no-hit since June 11th of 2003 when, you guessed it, the Houston Astros did it, and they, they needed six pitchers to throw a combined no-hitter at them back in 03. But would you believe the Astros now own the only two no-hitters that have been thrown at the Yankees since 1958? Unbelievable, right? And then you think about Sunday, and the Astros take one into the seventh inning before Giancarlo Stanton hits an emphatic home run in a game that's ultimately won by Aaron Judge on a walk-off. But, um, yeah, I mean— it, it, we, this this is the least likely offense in baseball to get no hit I when you consider so. what these guys are capable of. But um, it was the first time they were shut out at Yankee Stadium since 2003. I mean, just unbelievable. And, you know, I will say no one wants to hear about my fantasy team, but I have Christian Javier <laughs> on my fantasy team. I also have Garrett Cole, who yeah. was dealing on Saturday as well for the yep. Yankees. So um, got a nice little bump there. But, um I mean, this Yankees team is just so insane to think about. One, that they got no hit, and two, that they got by the Astro- done by the Astros, and it wasn't Justin Verlander. I mean, I think those were two of the most stunning things of this uh, this entire situation. You would think odds on Justin Verlander might be that guy because about every fifth day you think Justin Verlander might be that guy the way he's pitched at times this year as he has come back from injury and looked very much the vintage form that he was 
prior to going down and missing so much time over the last couple of years. But, yeah, a crazy, crazy day for the Yankees to not score a run. I don't know that too many clubs can say, hey, we got shut out. That's crazy. We don't see that thing around here. Most clubs have to deal with that quite a few times. The Yankees are not most clubs, though, as evidenced by their record, the fact that they score more runs than anybody else, and they allow fewer runs than anybody else, which might explain their record altogether. But big news here in the National League East. We talked about this earlier here on From the Diamond. The Phillies suffered a major blow on Saturday night. Bryce Harper was hit in the hand by Blake Snell and suffered a fractured thumb. This injury is going to sideline the reigning MVP for a while and could jeopardize his season altogether depending on the recovery time. Now, as we've seen, the Phillies have been enjoying the month of June quite a bit. After they fired Joe Girardi, they've been on a hot streak, 17-6 and coming into Sunday, and they're second only to the Braves as far as hot streaks are concerned. And obviously both clubs have been climbing in the standings. This is, however, not the kind of thing that Philadelphia needed, particularly when you consider Harper was already playing through an elbow injury that's limited him strictly to designated hitter duties. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously this is worst-case scenario. I, I think we'll find out whether it's worst-case scenario because Harper's supposed to get an MRI to determine whether or not he needs surgery. But, um, man, just the, the look on Blake Snell's face when he threw that 97-mile-an-hour pitch inside that Harper turned on and ends up fracturing his thumb. And then Harper, you know, you had him, you know, just screaming, uh, you know, in, in pain and then screaming at Blake Snell. Um, he said afterwards he's never broken anything in his life, so it's new to him. Um, he was kind of just in protection mode. Snell said he feels terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the fact that they were already dealing with so much with Harper in this UCL and having to use him as a DH. Um, 166 way to run create a plus was at seventh in the league out of him. This was the the best he's been in a Phillies uniform, his best since 2015. Um, we know how good this team's been under Rob Thompson. So Kyle Schwarber's been out of his mind. He's mm-hmm. going to have to be more so out of his mind uh, determine how long Bryce Harper's going to be out. Yeah, and much like we talked about when Ronald Acuna Jr. went down last year for the Braves, there is not one player that walks through the door and fixes the void in the lineup that the Phillies are now going to feel without Bryce Harper. And it should be noted that you're saying he's having his best season in a Phillies uniform Consider that he won the National League MVP last year, and that just lets you know how much better Bryce Harper was this year than perhaps at any time he's been in a Phillies uniform. And for those who obviously follow baseball closely, you hear UCL injury, you usually think about pitchers because that's exactly what pitchers have to undergo is that surgery to uh, the Tommy John surgery to reconstruct that elbow, and that is something that Harper is putting off. I wonder now at this time if he is in fact ruled out for the season or it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get back. Do you go ahead and have that taken care of? Otherwise... You know, I guess you can rehab it. He's a position player, so he doesn't have to worry about making his living on the mound. But it's a kind of a fascinating question or a conundrum if you're Bryce Harper in the Phillies. It's hard to gauge, though, like how long he would actually be out because Shohei Otani actually, you know, he went through the same thing. But, you know, he's obviously pitching as well and as well as hitting. Bryce is only doing one of those two things. Uh, I, I just think the Phillies, are they need more than anything right now. Nick Castellanos is hitting 198 this month. That, I'm not saying that they're out of it because we saw no. a year ago with the Cunha and, and going look at the down. record yeah. this month. Yeah, yeah and we we saw with the Cunha going down. That did not stop the Braves from ultimately winning the World Series. Uh, but they need guys to step up big time. And uh, I mean, this is just I hate it for baseball because he's just been having such a ridiculous season and going through what he was going through. Them playing so well. Yeah, uh, they need dudes to step up big time. Now. Yeah, you hate to see anybody get injured across the world of baseball, particularly when you think about some of the top players that. We've missed a lot of time from Mike Trout springs to mind most certainly. Fernando Tatis has been hurt a lot mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Shohei Otani was able to you know, work through it, but we didn't have the dual threat that we have seen. And at no time was that dual threat more in focus, I think, as far as amazing exploits are concerned than it was in this past week as he did it over a two-night span on Tuesday against the Royals. 
Otani drove in a career-high eight runs. It wasn't enough, though, in a 12-11 loss for the slumping Angels. With that showing under his belt, he went to the mound on Wednesday to Otani against the same Kansas City club and proceeded to strike out a career-high 13 batters. Needless to say that these are not the kinds of things you see from one man in back-to-back days in Major League Baseball, and Otani is, in fact, what many people refer to him as, and that is a unicorn. And further to go down the road of guys that people don't want to hear about that's on my fantasy team, but Otani is the first player in Major League history to strike out 10 batters a game after driving eight or more. He turned in that 13K performance, 71 pitches on 108 strikes. Tuesday, he hit a ball 113.5 miles Mm -hmm. an hour. On Wednesday, threw one 99.9 miles an hour. That'll play. Uh, I would have a feeling, and I know this, this is not blasphemy, Babe Ruth did not do that. I would say not. I mean, that was just not the arsenal that Babe Ruth had. I mean, as good as his numbers are, if you go back and look at Babe Ruth's pitching record and you look down the strikeouts column, not very many of those there. So throwing 100 miles Mm -hmm. an hour, probably not. Revolutionizing the offensive, you know, face of baseball for the rest of time. Yeah, Babe Ruth did a thing like that because he was an unforeseen force at the batter's box. But Shohei Otani, I mean, with what he does on both sides of the ball every single year, and you just would hope that the Angels would be a club that would do more winning than they've been able to do the past few years. And obviously they've fallen on hard times again this year that he would be in the MVP conversation because nobody else is like him. And that's something that should be recognized as much as possible. Now, here's a story that's taken a long, long time and many roads to happen. The Phillies called up former number one overall pick Mark Appel this past week. And if you don't know much about his story, this is truly, as they say, the long and winding road to get to the big leagues. Appel is now 30 years old and actually walked away from the game for three years before resuming his career last season. He's found success as a reliever in AAA with the Phillies and could certainly uh, give Philadelphia a little bit of boost there because they'll take all the help they can get in the bullpen up there. Uh, but this is such a story of perseverance with Mark Appel getting the call. It's going to be interesting to see what he's able to do as he finally becomes a big leaguer. He had that, you know, that unfortunate tag to him of being one of three number one overall picks who had never played in the majors. Brian Taylor with the Yankees in 91, Stephen uh, Chilcott with the Mets in 1966. He's now off that list. And what a wild story. I mean, you think back to him getting drafted by the Tigers in 2009, uh, goes up to Stanford. By the time 2012 rolls around, he looks like you know potentially the number one pick. But signability concerns. The Pirates select him eighth overall. He goes back to Stanford. Then he gets drafted by the Astros. That 6.35 million dollar payday ends up getting you know dealt from the Astros to the Phillies out of baseball. What an absolutely crazy story that we're talking about all these years later, that same guy finally getting there. Yeah, 30 years of age. You mentioned Chilcott, who, I mean, it's been a many, many moons since anybody has thought as much about his story. Brian Taylor, though, is one I am familiar with because I do remember the mid-'90s when Taylor was supposed to be the next big thing for George Steinbrenner's up-and-coming Yankees club that was going to you know, find the, the path to the World Series again, and they did. But Brian Taylor, in a bar fight, ruined his pitching shoulder and never made it to the big leagues. In fact, he's ended up behind bars. So, yeah, I mean, not that Appel was dealing with things like that, but he did have to navigate his own things in order to find his way back, and it's good to see that it ultimately paid off. And Brian Taylor, unfortunately, I thought I was going to fund my retirement with Brian Taylor rookie cards, and that did not happen. (laughs) You and me and probably a thousand other people at the very least. If you remember Brian Taylor, if you have those rookie cards, you don't have to keep them under glass right now. Speaking of big debuts and prospects, a big one for the Pirates this week as they called up O'Neill Cruz, the 6'7 shortstop who just might be a franchise player for a club that very much needs some franchise-type talents. Now, he got a brief taste of the majors last year, but it appears that the hulking shortstop is now going to get a chance to play every day in Pittsburgh. And the biggest story in his call-up this time around thus far has been the absolute cannon 
that he showed off at shortstop. He made a throw to first, clocked at 96.7 miles per hour on Monday, fastest throw of any position player in MLB this season, second fastest in the StatCast era, and oh, by the way, on that same night, he also put in the three fastest sprint speeds by a Pirates player this year and drove in four runs. But with that throw, it was also faster than any pitch from Pirates starter JT Brubaker. That's some kind of night. Welcome back to the big leagues, O'Neill Cruz, because this kid has got some serious talent. He also had the hardest hit ball of the year by a Pirate at 112.9, six foot seven. This is like yeah. Mike Trout deciding I'm going to, excuse me, Aaron Judge deciding yes. I'm going to go play shortstop. That's how big this dude is, and he just has a monster arm. I, I I don't know long-term if he's going to be a shortstop, but, man, he's a blast to watch. Yeah, I got to see him playing Gwinnett about a week ago as Indianapolis, the AAA club of the Pirates, was in town, and you just looked at him and looked at everybody else in the field and like, well, that's different. <laughs> and then you watch him play, and he does things like this. And obviously the Pirates, I mean, I don't know if this is just one of those cases where he can get down the, the rabbit hole of service time manipulation and all those things, which we may not see as much of in the future. But regardless, this is a kid that once they plug him in, they want him to stay there for a long time. We'll see if he's able to do it. Let's close out our three up and three down here on From the Diamond with this. Some ongoing silliness from Major League Baseball as they put out a memo to clubs regarding the treatment of their game day baseballs, in particular the muddying process that is the time-honored tradition. MLB has told its clubs that instead of doing this days in advance that the baseballs for each game should be done day of. They also reviewed video of the way the various clubhouse attendants have applied the vaunted Delaware mud. This comes in a little can, and it's what they rub on the baseballs prior to the games. And this memo went into great detail. I don't know if you saw any of this about the proper process for it, but I want to go through it with you here, Corey. One must paint the baseball using two fingertips and then utilize a precise rubbing motion between both hands to truly work the mud into the pores of the baseball. And this process, by the way, should last 30 to 40 seconds per baseball. And while we can poke fun at all of this, there's been nothing fun about the scrutiny involving both the quantity of the game day baseballs, sticky substances, and, of course, the selectively applied rules and regulations we've experienced in recent years. I feel like I should pay you for talking dirty to me, Grant. But I, I will tell you that I saw Braves relievers talking about this. I will, they will go unnamed, and they just laughed at this about yeah. how insane this whole process is. And um, talking about muddying, they're just muddying the waters here of uh, continued issues with Major League Baseballs. It's crazy that we've had to spend this much time talking about and wondering. And this goes well beyond, you know, mudding the baseballs and rubbing down the baseballs prior to the games. But the sticky substances thing, I mm -hmm. agree there needs to be a line somewhere. I think Major League Baseball moved the line way too far in terms of taking away uh, grip for the pitchers or substances that they can and should be able to use for gripping the ball, not spider tack, but other things yep. that they should be able to use. And then, of course, we've had to talk about, why is the ball not flying this year? Oh, they changed the quality of the baseballs. Why is the ball all of a sudden flying? Oh, they're using baseballs from last season. <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation anymore. Make the same baseballs. Make them the same quality and stop. You don't hear any other sport talking about, I mean, the NBA doesn't say, hey, well, we changed the regulation basketball. About the only thing I can think of the anywhere close to this was that deflate gate nonsense mm -hmm. with the with the Patriots, but even that it pales in comparison to talking about the entire sport. It's insane. Let's just get over this. Make all the baseballs at one place. Make them all the same. It's a round object. Get it done. Well, we'll see if they're able to do that. We have very very few requests here on the show, but that's certainly one of them. When we come back here on From the Diamond, we'll go around the big leagues and break down what's happening across the National League. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney, with you right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more from the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. And welcome back from the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. It's been a big weekend for the Braves, who are wrapping up their three-game series with the Dodgers on Sunday Night Baseball. And, of course, 
We do like to keep you up to date on everything going on with the Braves and and the afternoon leading up to this contest, Corey, against the Dodgers. We knew Ronald Acuna Jr. was not going to be in the lineup. Unfortunately, we have found that he is having a lot of soreness in the left foot after fouling a ball off of it last night. He stayed in the game for a number of innings. That might have been something that caused a bit of swelling for him. But, of course, we know Ronald is dealing with the comeback from that ACL surgery, so he has showed up with a brand-new ride into the Braves clubhouse, a medical scooter to take some of the pressure off the knee, which I can attest to, and I'm not a professional athlete, but when you start to hurt one thing and overcompensate with something else, bad things can happen. It's probably a smart move. Yeah, I mean, that's just par for the course with this kind of injury he's coming back for, right? But yeah, under the clubhouse and a medical scooter, said he requested it. He can't put pressure on those left foot. No fracture, no protective boot. Uh, they're hoping a couple days will get him back, but a possible IL decision uh, could not be up to Acuna no matter what he wants to make everyone think right. he's capable of. Yeah, well, there are so few people that are actually Wolverine in real life, and by <laughs> so few I mean none. So even if he heals up and gets you know back in there over the next couple of days, probably going to deal with a little bit of soreness in that spot for a minute. But uh, x-rays were clean, MRI was negative. They did not find any structural damage in that foot, so that, of course, is good news. How long Ronald Acuna Jr. could be out of the Braves lineup is still to be determined. Let's talk about the National League East. That's obviously a big story when you think about this race, which is heated up in the month of June and means that the next three months, uh, it could just be more of the same, Corey. We've got the Mets hoping to get some injuries cleared up. That, of course, is Max Scherzer, who's out on a rehab assignment. Jacob deGrom, they want to get him back as well. And you've had the Braves and the Phillies, both a couple of the best records in baseball this month. But, you know, we talked a little bit about Acuna maybe missing a little bit of time, but as we discussed with Bryce Harper and the Phillies, he's going to be gone for the foreseeable future and, you know, who knows what could happen over the next few months in this race, but uh, one that everybody looked at at the end of May and said might be over before it even starts. Looks like it could just be heating up this summer. Interesting note, though, with the Yank, with the uh, the Mets is that Max Scherzer is going to make another rehab start on Tuesday against the Yard Goats. Uh, the club's not decided when he's going to ultimately be back uh, with them. But Carlos Carrasco, they had a little bit of a scare with him. He's yeah, going to make a start on Wednesday, so no issue there. Um, Jacob deGrom uh, threw another BP against uh, live hitters on Saturday. Uh, through uh, 20 pitches over one inning, a live BP. He's going to get some more in the coming days, and then they'll decide whether or not his next uh, point will be a rehab assignment. Uh, another interesting Mets, though, uh, note, they got Ender and Ciarte uh, in the house now on a minor league deal, so we'll yeah. see if ultimately. I, I don't want to paint the picture down the road of Ender and Ciarte <laughs> hitting a home run at, at Truist Park, but it seems like it always goes that way when they have to face guys that used to be Braves. Sure, but, I mean, and that might be quite a stretch in this case. We don't know, but I will say this. The Mets finally figured out a way to keep Ender and Ciarte from taking home Ooh, runs nice. away from them. There you go. Pete Alonso, though, continues to be an absolute force of nature. Hit two home runs on Saturday. He leads the NL in home runs and RBIs. The offense has propped up this team until they can get healthy in that rotation. I think that's maybe the most worrisome thing as you try to hunt them down is the fact that they've been able to stay afloat while they're not at full strength in that rotation. Yeah, I still have questions about this offense's staying power. They haven't really gone into a prolonged slump yet, but as you look at all of the things that we you know, really talk about with the Braves in terms of the, the just consistent hard contact that Atlanta makes, the home runs, the runs scored, and you know all of the expected averages that come out of the way that the Braves strike the baseball, it's not the same thing for the Mets. You find them kind of at the other end of the spectrum, and they have been able to you know outperform that, I think, with some extra batted ball luck that the Braves have not been as fortunate with. But that can't be the only reason why the Mets are a good team, nor would I lead you to believe that on this show or any others. This is not the 2021 version of this club, but Corey, I'm not saying it's all smoke and mirrors, but the Mets offense doesn't quite 
strike the same fear in the hearts of opposing pitchers, I think, as perhaps the Braves and some of the other clubs in baseball. They've got dudes with resumes, though. I think that's the thing. You know Francisco Lindor, what he's capable of. I mentioned Alonzo is playing like an MVP. They brought in a lot of guys who are high OBP guys, you know, Starling Marte, Mark Canna. They brought in those guys to shore up things. That's certainly happening now. Um, elsewhere in this uh, in this division, I don't know that we're giving enough love. We talk about Bryce Harper being out for the Phillies. How good this Phillies pitching staff is since uh, they got taken over by Rob Thompson. They are fourth in the league in starter ERA. Aaron Nola is tied for the NL lead in war. Zach Wheeler is tied for fourth. Kyle Gibson's in the top 30. Um, they actually are ahead of the Yankees right now. As, as much as you want to talk about how great that Yankees pitching staff is, with how deep they are, this Philly's staff is the MLB leader right now in Fangraph War. So, um, you know, I don't know that they're getting enough credit for this. I don't know that they can make up for the deficiencies of not having Bryce Harper. Uh, certainly, they're going to need people to step up. But I don't. I mean, they just not enough's been being said about this rotation. No, and if you do look at the National League East on the whole, they are the only division in the National League and one of just two in Major League Baseball that has four of the five clubs with positive run differentials. The big difference maker for a team like Miami being in this race or not being in this race, they've had to deal with injuries too. But they are really bad on the road. They're eight games under 500 on the road for the year. They're only five games under 500. And they have a guy like Sandy Alcantara who can, on any given night, be as good as anybody in Major League Baseball. So Marlins are still a dangerous team, and they could still be a factor in this race, even if it's just putting up some tough series against the Mets, against the Braves, and perhaps against the Phillies moving into the summer and throughout the rest of the season. Now, in the National League Central, we've got a dead heat at the top of that division, at least for now, as the Brewers and the Cardinals are battling it out for supremacy there. Everyone else is double-digit games back. But this, I think, is going to be one of the more fascinating races in baseball all summer long as you figure out, can the Brewers and the rotation that was supposed to take them so far find some answers? Because other than Corbin Burns, they have not had the same kind of fortune in that rotation here in 2022 as they did a year ago. Corbin Burns got them back on track, though. He fanned nine to beat the Blue Jays on Saturday. His last four outings, he's allowed no more than two runs. But you got Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, Aaron Ashby all on the IL. I mean, they've kind of had to, like, piece things together. Jason Alexander, not the one from Seinfeld fame. Chi-Chi Gonzalez. I mean, they just have this kind of makeshift group around Corbin Burns right now. But the Cardinals, they have Jack Flaherty. They had him back for a couple of games. He left Saturday with shoulder inflammation issues. Miles Michaelis has been fantastic uh, top 30 starter in the season. But I think it's going to ultimately be a thing where you're going to have the strength of this Brewers rotation when it gets healthy against a, a very good Cardinals offense led by Paul Goldschmidt. And you've got to see it get healthy, though. That's the big yeah. thing. I mean, if and when it does, the Brewers, they showed it last year. They have got they can go with anybody and pretty much one through five in that rotation. But they've been dealt some pretty serious blows this year. I think that set them back. Their offense has been opportunistic at times, but at other times it's completely vanished. But you brought up Paul Goldschmidt. I think he's probably got the inside track, at least for me, on National League MVP right now because he's hitting out of this world better even than some of the years he spent out in Arizona when he was one of the best players in the National League for quite some time before coming over to St. Louis. But you know, you got to have a few other people chipping in, and I think that the Cardinals have been a club that has come together cohesively to push themselves through some of the injuries and setbacks they've had to deal with. Manny Machado has been playing out of his mind. We know how he obviously is dealing with a sprained left ankle. Um, he's looking like maybe he's going to avoid an IL stint. That, to me, is the only guy that's challenging Paul Goldschmidt for NL MVP right now. A long way to go, obviously, but um, you know Goldschmidt is just on another level. And if, if this Cardinals team ends up winning this division – 
Uh, You and I talked about this. I think it's going to be division title or bust for either one of these clubs to get into the postseason. If Goldsmith ultimately pushes them into the postseason with the year he's having, I think that's going to be the tipping point. Yeah, and out west we know about the three-team race that's been happening in the National League. It's the L.A. Dodgers who enter Sunday night with a one-game lead over the San Diego Padres who are in action against the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday Uh, I mean, the Dodgers right now have one fewer win, but also one fewer loss than the Padres. So you're pretty much tied up there at the top, or as tight as it can be, I guess, without uh, there being one game separating these two clubs. It's just the fact that San Diego's played a few more games than have the Dodgers to this point. Long story short, as you look at these two teams, neither one of them have been immune from the injury bug. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants are doing everything they can to just keep up the pace with these other two clubs. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch throughout the summer. I don't know that the Dodgers have ever really been as tested with injuries in their recent run of success that they've had as they are this year. They just lost Daniel Hudson to a torn ACL. They've already been without Blake Trinan. They're going to get Dustin May back, and that's great. But they've got Mookie Betts on the injured list on top of all of that. And there have been other you know, ins and outs as far as the injured list is concerned for the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw was on the shelf for a while. They are being tested in ways that I'm not sure that they really have been pushed in recent years. I'd agree with that. And, and I will say that the, the difference between them and the, and the Padres right now is the Padres have had to overcome their best player not being a part of things to this point in the season. Uh, I man, mentioned Manny Machado. He took batting practice and ground balls on the field Saturday before the game against the Phillies. Uh, there's a, a, a real chance here that he's going to avoid um, an IL stand. He's not landed on the IL since 2014. And they're also getting, while they've already been making up for that, where they're not getting from Tatis from Machado, Jake Cronenworth is having an unbelievable season. Uh, he, he's Right now, Swanson's biggest comp for NL Player of the Month in June. Uh, he has a 1-6 war in the month. He's slashing 322, 419, 567, NL leading 22 RBIs. The Padres just keep finding ways to make up for the fact that their best player has yet to suit up in 2022. Well, the Padres, as it stands right now, hold the top wild card spot ahead of the Atlanta Braves. And then you've got the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Francisco Giants. Uh, the Cardinals are holding on to the third spot. Then the Giants half a game behind them. Phillies two and a half games. And again, this is pending some of the outcomes of some of the games on Sunday as we sit here in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game sizing this up. But, you know, it's expanded playoffs this year, and that is great because you want to try to find your way in October any way you can. But the more and more players that I talk to, including I caught up with Travis Darno this past week, you know, they want to win the East. It all starts with winning the East. It's not about backing into a wild card spot. It's about winning the National League East. And the Braves have had the kind of month that has put them firmly back into contention. And we'll see if they're able to make good with that and you know, win it for the fifth time in a row. This is the fallback, right? I mean, the fact that it is an expanded it's postseason, you have another way to get in. You know, maybe you get hot at the right time. Over the years, we've seen so many teams, regardless of whether they were a division champion or a wild card team, ultimately end up hoisting that trophy. But I think if you're the Braves, you want to continue that streak, right? And yes. You, and you have somebody to chase down now. And unlike last year, I don't think this is a Mets team that's going to implode. I think this is one that only has the potential to get stronger because we have not seen combined two of the best pitchers of this generation in Scherzer and DeGrom together. No, we have not, and that's a tag team that the Mets very definitely (laughs) wanted to put the titles on. There's no two ways about that either. It will give you a little bit of, I think, perspective on exactly how good the Braves' month of June has been in putting together the best record in Major League Baseball this month at 42-31 and heading into Sunday night. Yeah, they're four and a half games behind the Mets, who lost on Sunday, but that record for the Braves would be good enough to lead the National League Central, which 
a month ago, again, I don't think we'd be talking about that, particularly with how the Brewers were playing. It would also be good enough to be leading the American League Central were we to completely realign and go off the rails. We're not going to do that, though, but uh, suffice it to say, you wanted to see the Braves among the better records in baseball, and we simply weren't seeing that four weeks ago. My, how things have changed with this month. It'd be great to punctuate it with a big win over the Dodgers and take a series from them, and then you have that matchup with the Phillies before you start playing some clubs that are under 500 again. Big test coming up for the Braves as they try to climb in the East and also hold on to that wild card spot. The most run scoring team in the National League in June. They've been hitting home runs like crazy. We mentioned the play they've been getting out of Dansby Swanson. Think about what they've not gotten from Raul Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. of late. I think that's the thing. If you, As much as we talk about what the Mets don't have, they've yet to have a really long run of Acuna at his you know just prime peak, you know, throwing it all out there, athleticism. I, that's that. I think the one thing you can hang your hat on is the Braves. We've not seen them completely operating at optimum level. Uh, we'll see what Ronald Acuna Jr. is able to do again. A little bit banged up if you're just joining us and wondering what the latest is on the Braves star outfielder. He's going to be out of the lineup on Sunday and had to show up and utilize a medical scooter to get around the Braves clubhouse on Sunday as well after fouling a ball off his foot. X-rays negative, MRI was clean, so no structural damage, but Acuna could be out for a minute. Again, it's the Mets on top in the East. It's the Brewers and Cardinals battling out in the Central. The Dodgers on top in the West. And the Braves holding one of the three wild card spots. We'll go around the big leagues and talk about the American League next here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we continue from the Diamond. All right, play ball! Your place for all things MLB and our Braves. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. This is From the Diamonds. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios in Midtown as we take you through what was a very eventful week for the Atlanta Braves and the rest of baseball. If you like what you're hearing on the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just search for From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. We're there for you. You can also find us on the Odyssey app. Corey, let's dive in here to the American League where it has been quite eventful on this Sunday. We got all kinds of things going on. We got walk-offs. We got near-no-hitters, and that happened in the same game. We've got fights, and we've got all kinds of things to get to in this one. So let's start with the East, where that aforementioned walk-off occurred for the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge, a three-run homer to send the Yankees over the Houston Astros. 52-20 and now are the Yankees' best record in baseball by a lot. That's a 722 winning percentage if you're scoring at home, where the Yankees have now won 30 of their 39 games at Yankee Stadium. This one, I think if there's any kind of win or bounce back that really just underscores how good the New York Yankees are, they get no hit on Saturday, they're getting no hit on Sunday, and then all of a sudden it's like they flipped a switch and said, you know what, we're going to go back to the default settings of how the season's going. I'm glad you brought up that winning percentage. They're only behind the 1928-1998, and they're tied with the 1939 Yankees team for the third-best start in franchise history at 722 winning percentage through 73 uh, 74 games. So unbelievable from this team. Now, you and I talked about this briefly, but let's flesh this out for a moment, just from a historical abstract and a historical perspective. This is the third best start in franchise history, and it's a 722 winning percentage. And again, we're talking about through 74 games, I believe, was the, the marker for yep. this or this date of the season. I don't know that you can really draw too many parallels between the last era in which the Yankees were doing this in the 20s and 30s, you know, of the 1900s, not the 2020s. But, you know, there's a lot of difference in the last century of baseball. Let me just make a long story short and say that. But this Yankees team right now is as good as any Yankees team has ever been through this portion of a season. And when you look at them and you look at the field and the rest of Major League Baseball, 
it pretty much reminds you of just how special the start has been for this club, and they're doing it in one of the toughest divisions to win in. There is just this mystique with this team. I mean, I know they got sh- I know they got no hit on Saturday, but you think about all that's happened this week. You had Thursday's comeback with Aaron Hicks hitting the game tying three home run, uh, three run home run. Then Aaron Judge delivers the team's MLB leading at that point ninth walk off win, and then on Sunday. He gets another walk-off home run after they look like they're going to get no hit again, potentially against the Astros. Giancarlo Stanton puts his foot down and says enough of that and hits a yeah. home run to absolute dead center. Um, and then you think about, from Aaron Judd's perspective, he also had the issue this week where you know they, him and the Yankees end up settling on a $19 million deal yeah. for him for the year for him. That includes $250,000 if he's MVP, $250,000 if he's named World Series MVP. Um, he, you know, they had a home streak that got snapped. They get no hit, on and on and on. Judge was struggling, and then he just breaks out with this monster home run. Uh, this is the best team in baseball. Yep. There's really no way about it. Um, I, I just I wonder if we see this all the time with teams that just coast through a season. At what point, number one, are they going to have some form of, of adversity? Because it's going to happen. There's going to be a lull. How do they respond to that? And if they end up winning this thing by double digits, which it looks like they're probably going to in the AL East, What's their what's the kind of the operating mode for them in the postseason? Is there a sense of business or is there a sense of we get those teams that weren't really dealing with a lot throughout the year kind mm-hmm. of coast through and all of a sudden they have to deal with the specter of postseason baseball and it's a completely different monster and they, you know, they struggle. So I, I, I'm going to be really interested to see. This is a ridiculous team, and I just I, I wish it was October already just to see how they're going to respond. Well, the Boston Red Sox have responded from their slow start to climb all the way into second place, and this was a club that was down there uh, with or below the Baltimore Orioles, who have also played a better brand of baseball lately as well. I'll give the credit uh, where it's due for those guys. But, yeah, you got Boston, then you got Toronto, and then you got Tampa Bay as of, you know, the afternoon on Sunday or early evening on Sunday. And those are your three wildcard teams in the American League as well. So it's the Yankees and three teams all leading the wildcard right there. And then you look at where the Minnesota uh, Twins are and where the Cleveland Guardians are. Um, both of those clubs would be good for, let's see, the seller in the American League East. So there's that. The Houston Astros will be good enough to be in second place. And this is these are the other first-place teams, mind you, or top wow. teams in the rest of the American League. That's just how bonkers this division is and how ridiculous the Yankees' start is to have more than an arm's length between themselves and the rivals that are chasing them, including the Red Sox, who had won six games in a row and are really starting to make their push, not just to get at the 500 or at 500, but to get above it and stay above it as well. And you know, there's a lot going on in this division. The Toronto Blue Jays have played a lot better over the last month. The Tampa Bay Rays have been right there, but they've kind of slid back a bit here in June. And this could change again. We'll see what July does and August does, and obviously September does. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, but as far as chasing down the Yankees is concerned, good luck. Good luck with that. The Red Sox started 11-20. They're in a wild-card spot, as you mentioned. They had a weekend series against the Guardians, which started a stretch of 33 of 36 games against teams currently in playoff position. Before that, they had played six such games. Wow. I mean, we are going to find out what the Red Sox are really made of. And you mentioned the Rays. I know I mentioned this before on the show, but think about now they have Manuel Margot, who has a significant patellar tendon strain. He may not require surgery, but all the guys they've got on, they have five members of their opening day lineup on the injured list. Wander Franco, Brandon Lowe, Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zunino. That's a combined over 930 yep. days of guys on the IL, over $8 million worth of guys on the IL, and somehow 
We're talking about them being in postseason uh, position. It, it's unbelievable what Kevin Cash and company get done. Yeah, two things happen there. Number one, Wander Franco should be back soon. That will be a boost yeah. to them. Secondly, could you add up those salaries again for me for the five members of the opening day lineup that they've lost? 929 days in the A. I got that, I got Eight, that part. $8.1 million. That's it. That's it. Man. And the other teams they're sharing that line with, the Reds are one of them. These other teams have an insane amount of money that they're spending. Just right, but that's what I'm saying. Think, think about this. You, you name multiple players, the $8 million. Yeah. And, like, trust me, I, I worked in the Rays organization. I get exactly what they do down there, and they do it better than anybody. But it's just funny to hear it because, you know, somebody hits the injured list, and you're like, oh, there's a $30 million player on the injured list. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays don't really have to worry about that too often. Yeah, there's only three teams that have more than 866 days combined of IL. It's the the Cubs who have 25 players with 15.7 million. The the Rays at 8.3 now, and the Reds with 1,000 days and 14.2 million. The Rays, you know, the Rays just—it's crazy. I mean, but this is how they operate. Yeah, no, it is, and it's worked for them for whatever the case is, but. You know, they managed to find a way each and every year. And let's talk about the Central. I brought up the Twins, who had moved back ahead of the Cleveland Guardians after what was a really fun head-to-head battle between these two clubs. The uh, Cleveland team proceeded to go into a bit of a slide and give first place right back after they took it with a head-to-head battle. But, you know, this is this is the pennant race right now, or, or excuse me, the divisional race between these two clubs. The White Sox, again, they continue to just – putter around below the 500 mark. And I know, again, we got a lot of baseball left to be played. The White Sox have 91 games to go or 90 games to go after Sunday, but they better start moving in the right direction. Otherwise, they're going to run out of time. I think this has the potential to be the best race in baseball. I, I really do. I, I know that we're watching the NL East, and, and, and I, I think the Braves are going to close that gap. You know, the NL Central is going to be a lot of fun. But to me, just the way these two teams operate, Byron Buxton, by the way, has not been on the IL. He has as many home runs as he had all of last season. Carlos Correa, signed late, was on the COVID list. Mm-hmm. He's now an everyday player again. He's raking 975 OPS. Chris Archer was a gamble signing for them. Since May 16th, a 231 ERA out of him. And then you look at the Guardians, who have been so good. and They've scored the fifth most runs from the seventh inning on. They continue to have that contact-heavy play. They're the game's highest contact rate, mm-hmm. the lowest strikeout rate, the seventh lowest walk rate. They want to be selective. They want to put the ball in play and make something happen. Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, one and two in the lowest strikeout rates. So they're first and fourth in contact rate. These guys have a plan, and they're running it to perfection. Now, when we talk about what the Cleveland Guardians have had to go up against. It's been seeing some of their better players go somewhere else. They're not going to have to deal with that with with uh, Jose Ramirez signing a long-term contract. If Aaron Judge is not the American League MVP, and that is still a sizable if, just like Aaron Judge is a sizable player, I think Jose Ramirez has to be the next guy up, right? I think he does. And, and, I mean, he's and, having a ridiculous Oh, he season. really is. I mean, certainly Mike Trout's right there with him, but I think if you look at the fact that they've what, what they're overcoming in that division, mm-hmm. the fact that they've let guys go, I, I'm really hoping that they are active at the deadline and go out and add something. I know we don't always use that word with Cleveland, but I really mm-hmm. hope that they go out and add something to try to push them over. Now, I know this is a, a nuanced kind of discussion when you think about MVP and who's going to get consideration and all those things. And I, I know, and I'm glad you brought up Mike Trout because every year that he's healthy and puts up Mike Trout numbers, he pretty much deserves to be the MVP. But does that mean that's the way it'll flesh out in the voting when you start looking at the Cleveland Guardians climbing in the standings, thanks in large part to the play of Jose Ramirez. And again, this is not completely fair, but it's just one of the things that people look at. A team like the Guardians benefiting so much so from Jose Ramirez, where would they be without him? Well, nowhere close to where they are. Obviously, Aaron Judge and what he's done for the Yankees, that goes without saying. And in fact, we've already said it, so we won't say it again. But even on Trout's club, 
which is to no fault of his. I'm not blaming him. That would be a silly thing to do because it's it, where would the Angels be without Mike Trout? Even worse than they've been the last few years is the answer to that question. But he's got Shohei Otani on his team now. That might, as they say, split the vote a little bit if somebody's looking at the Angels and saying, oh, well, you got to give it to one of these guys, right? Well, then you got to pick one. Josh Naylor is not a name that is going to pop out of the scenes for anybody in terms of the backup. Is this that, about that, your fantasy team <laughs> no, I, I don't think I have Josh Naylor on my fantasy team. but well, It'd be good. But that's not the kind of backup that you're talking about being right. otherworldly backup that Jose Ramirez no. has with the Indians. They're not supposed to be here, right? The, the, no one looked at this team as one that was going to contend in the division that the White Sox were supposed to run away with. I think the, if they get there to the postseason – on the back of Jose Ramirez, I think that is going to matter more so than anything. And even Rafael Devers, what what he's doing in Boston, what Mike mm-hmm. Trout's doing in Anaheim, I, I think this is going to be potentially the seminal season for somebody in the yeah. American League is going to be Jose Ramirez. And when we sit down and look at it, there's going to be six, seven, maybe eight guys who are deserving yeah. of consideration. And, and keep in mind when you say that, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm saying he should far and away be the unanimous MVP of the league. I don't think anybody's saying that. And if you are, you're probably doing it in the echo chamber of social media, and that's really not necessary. But there are a lot of good players in the league. It's just that Jose Ramirez has stepped up from what was already an all-star caliber player and clearly the best on Cleveland's team to being perhaps one of the best players in all of baseball, if he wasn't already or if you just didn't know and didn't know that name just yet. Jose Ramirez is in that discussion most certainly. Let's talk about the West a little bit. The Angels, unfortunately, have found themselves in what has amounted to a huge slide over the last month or so, falling from the good graces of first place down to the lower part of the of the standings in that American League West division. The Astros have a double-digit lead over the Texas Rangers, who came in second. Seattle's starting to surge, but, you know, that's what the standings look like. What things look like in Anaheim today was pretty ugly because the Mariners and the Angels got into a brouhaha, an actual baseball fight, not one of those clear the benches, everyone stands around, looks at each other, and goes back after 90 seconds. This was pushing, pulling, punching, Dog piles, the whole nine. Yeah, I wanted to hear you know, Jim Ross be over this with Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, well, there, I was, think there was a stone-cold treatment in this yeah, one, too. It was unreal. So it it, all, it stemmed from Saturday night. They throw at Mike Trout's head. So on Sunday, the Angels' Andrew Wants throws behind Julio Rodriguez. They get warned. Then Wants, a, a, an inning later, hits Jesse Winker in the ba- in that back, and he has had enough in just this Clearly. melee erupts. And then he, you know, flipping the bird to the Angels fans. And, I mean, it, and then you've got Rothstiel and Glacius just launching sunflower seeds onto the field. This thing literally went on for like 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, this was not like, oh, here's a baseball fight. Guys are going to go out. They're all going to crowd each other. There's going to be a little bit of pushing. This was like a Royal Rumble onto the field. Yep. I just I thought I was going to see guys getting tossed over the top rope. It was it was crazy. Now, if John Boy does a breakdown of this one, yeah. I'll be very interested to see what kind of lip reading he gets out <laughs> of all of this. You had Anthony Rendon, <laughs> yeah. who has already undergone wrist surgery that ended his season. He's out there throwing jabs with his left hand so that he can be a part of this whole thing. He's, well, he's homered with his left hand, so we know he's, he has he but, punch. but both hands were, were not under the knife. Neither hand had gone under the knife at that point. So he's out there guarding his injured arm, which is in a cast, in the middle of this fight. So just to say that tensions ran high, tensions were very, very high in this particular one. And I'm sure that you know Mike Trout or anybody else, I mean, you can throw at him, but when you start getting up near and around the head, that's when guys start to get a little bit more and more upset about the execution of the old you got to throw inside kind of mentality and we've seen a little bit of that here and there with the Braves and the Marlins kind of having a back and forth thankfully there hasn't been any headhunting in that but there has been a little bit of back and forth 
This one, though, and Mike Trout, you don't really see get too upset about things, but he was not happy about this and that turn of events. So let's look uh, briefly at the wild card, as I mentioned, because all we're going to do is roll it back into the American League East as the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays are holding on to the top three spots in that wild card race. And then you find the Guardians, who are right now a game behind the Minnesota Twins and two games out of the wild card race, and then a sizable gap until you get down to the Rangers and then the White Sox. The Mariners have made a push of late by going on a nice little winning streak, but uh, other than the ugliness on Sunday, is it too little too late? Is June the time where you say that kind of thing? I think they've invested so much into this team. You know, Robbie Ray has is finally getting going a two seven zero ERA in June after a four one five in April, a five three four in May. Uh, you know, I, I mean, glad Winker showed some fight today because he's been one of the most Awful. disappointing players I yeah. think that switched teams in the la- in this past off season. But twelve and a half games back in the division going into Sunday. I think you're going to do it. You're going to do it right now. They've got to find some way to, to get back into this thing because I don't think this is a team that has any interest in selling. I think they've invested too much. They've waited too long. That wild card is potentially there. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to keep active. Yeah. It sends a bad message to do a bunch of buying and yeah. then immediately do a bunch of selling. No fan base really enjoys that. That's a look at what's happening across the American League where the Yankees are the toast of town in New York and just about everywhere else. Then you got the Twins and the Astros holding down the top spots in the Central and in the West. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of From the Diamond as we take a look at what's ahead for the Atlanta Braves. We'll do it next on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more From the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Wrapping things up here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios. Appreciate you joining us on this night. Make sure you're connected with us and with the show on social media. You can find me at Grant McCauley on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Corey at Corey J. McCartney as well. And make sure you follow the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end on Twitter. No underscore on the end of that for, for Instagram. And Sports Radio 92.9 The Game is very easy to find at 92.9 The Game. Uh, So we'll talk about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves as they wrap up their series against the Dodgers with Sunday Night Baseball. Then, Corey, they get a test against the Philadelphia Phillies, another club that has turned in one of the best records in the month of June. We know that there's an off day on Monday. We also know that Ronald Acuna Jr. banged up with that foul ball off his left foot. Looks like that he's going to at least rest on Sunday, rest again on Monday, and then the Braves are going to reassess this. But that's not the only injury news for this Braves club. we got Eddie Rosario out on a rehab assignment. That is well-timed. we got Tyler Matzik beginning a rehab assignment this week as well. Those are some good updates in the wake of hearing the news on Acuna, which, again, we hope, with x-rays being negative, with the MRI being clean, that he's not going to be out for too long. Yeah, I mean, I think everything you hear with him, though, since it's all come, you know, come back from the ACL, every little, you know, tic tac thing, you worry about it, and you worry about, you know, again, as you mentioned earlier, whether it's the compensation from, you know, dealing with the rehab from the ACL. There was obviously the groin, and now this. Uh, this one certainly, you know, is a little bit different because it comes from pitching, uh, taking a, a pitch off of his foot. Uh, but you know, right now he's rolling around in a medical scooter, and unable to put weight on it. So I think until you get something definitive. Uh, all you can do is worry about whether or not you're going to see him go back on the I.L. Yeah, but well-timed, I think, if you're concerned about it. And again, no move has been made as of right now, and I'm sure the Braves wouldn't bother doing that with the off day on mm-hmm. Monday either. But having Eddie Rosario, who had been hitting with the club on the field for the last couple of weeks, be able to finally go out on a rehab assignment. He's got a little under three weeks that he can be out getting at bats and doing those things. But we know there's going to be a roster crunch, some playing time up for grabs when you think about what Eddie Rosario was brought in to do, and that was help balance the Braves lineup with another left-handed bat. 
Adam Duvall is having a good month of June. He's really found it this month and looked a lot more like the player that the Braves were accustomed to seeing. Marcelo Zuna has shown signs, including his go-ahead two-run homer that helped the Braves beat the Dodgers on Saturday. But, you know, you look at those, and you look at the fact that Acuna has been the everyday right fielder at this point. You're trying to get some DH at-bats, perhaps, to William Contreras or Travis Darno on the days that those two men, respectively, are not catching. Where does Eddie Rosario fit? Who's the odd man out? What exactly do you do? Somebody goes to the bench, right? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be, it's going to be, you know, mental chess here for Brian Snicker trying to figure out how in the world you're going to make this whole thing work. Um, You mentioned Adam Duvall. I had a conversation with him uh, earlier in the week, and, you know, he had said that a big thing for him was, you know, he was really struggling trying to keep his legs under him in terms of hitting, having to play center field now that he's been able to be in left. You know, you've seen him have around 850 OPS since then. He's really gotten back to hitting the fastball. He's got his best fastball numbers in almost a year at this point right now. So if he's hitting well, or, you know, obviously that you're going to have the strikeouts, you're going to have the low BA with him, but it's just part of the process yeah. with him. But if he's playing strong defense, I don't, I mean, what, what are you going to, how are you going to work this thing where Rosario is going to get time? And you've got Guillermo Heredia, who's probably going to be the odd man out on that, on that bench. Um, Rosario you know, went one through four on Saturday in his first rehab start. I saw him in the clubhouse earlier in the week as well and seemed like he was in really good spirits. This is going to be really difficult to figure out how you're going to get enough ABs to spread around with these guys. Yeah, I mean, the thing I think that Duvall has that really nobody else in that equation has is he is an excellent fielder. And when he's going offensively, yep. producing runs, I mean, you're not paying him to win a batting title, but he's a guy that can come up with some big hits and big runs knocked in, including a game winner. Earlier this week in one of the Braves' two walk-offs against San Francisco, this is a guy who makes this team better more times than not. And it's interesting you said about you know what the toll of center field was on him. And I think we all knew it was going to be a little bit of a toll. I don't think we realized as much as it was going to be thus far this year. But he said as much on the broadcast on Fox on Saturday night when he was talking with Joe Davis and John Smoltz. Look, uh, Michael Harris has got young legs. He can go from gap to gap and run everything down. He's going to be just fine. I'm good over here in left field. That's kind of what I got from that, and that just confirms that, you know, just setting people up to be in the position to where they can succeed, Adam Duvall in left field or on a corner spot, I should say, he's in right field on Sunday, is something that I think works better for him and works better for the club. And, oh, by the way, their new center fielder, Michael Harris, with another multi-hit game on Saturday, has been every bit as good as advertised and then some as the rookie center fielder, has really helped transform this Braves lineup into what is its most productive form thus far this year. Would you be surprised to know that Michael Harris has the third best way to run creative plus amongst anybody against the shift? It, this You're talking about a guy who has just played in a handful of games to this point, and he just keeps... I, I don't know if we should be surprised about how good he's gotten at the plate, but when you add you know, what he's able to do from a defensive standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, it's just... I mean, I mentioned this before that you really have to go back to, you know, the, the days of Andrew Jones to find someone that you could get that mix of offense and defense yeah. from the center field position that you're getting from him. And I think it's just the fact that it's trickled down, that it's allowing guys to play in positions they're more comfortable with, uh, especially with Duvall. But I, I don't know that I thought he was going to be this good this fast. I think the, sure. the tools were obviously all there, but I, would, I didn't know that he – that he was going to be able to put it all together like he has. I mean, it's been between him and Spencer Strider, this has been the best, you know, 
Strider, obviously still a rookie, only got a handful of uh, appearances last year, but the best rookie class, if you want to call it that, the Braves have had in some time. Most exciting in a yeah. hot minute, that's for sure. I mean, sure. we've seen plenty of top prospects yeah. come up over the last five or six years that have really just become the fabric of the Atlanta Braves, but you kind of wondered at some point as you started to hear, especially over the last couple of years, well, the farm system isn't quite what it used mm-hmm. to be, which how is it going to be? Because when you graduate all those players that are highly regarded prospects and you turn them into all-star caliber players, well, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and then you don't draft as high. And, of course, the Braves had to go through all the you know, the drought of not being able to sign anyone internationally. But those kinds of things have changed, and Michael Harris is at the forefront of that change for the Braves this year as far as offensive players are concerned. And know that there's some strikeouts in that game, but he's had to face a lot of tough lefties lately. But if you look at the exit velocity, the, the consistent hard-hit contact, the fact that he can hit line drives to the left, he can hit line drives to the shift to the right, this is a kid that, in addition to going and getting him in center field and the way he runs the bases, has brought a lot of energy and a great dynamic to the Braves, something they sorely needed over the first, oh, almost two months of the season until he made his big league debut. Now, the Braves do head back out on the road after they wrap things up on Sunday night against Los Angeles. They're off on Monday, then a three-game set at the Phillies, and three games follow in Cincinnati against the Reds. As the Braves battle these two teams, we know Philadelphia is dealing with its own set of issues. It's played so much better this month. But now the Phillies are going to be without Bryce Harper for perhaps the rest of the season. We'll find out. But as you look on the other side of that, you cannot play around with the Reds this time around. You split a four-game series to open the season against them. You can't afford to lose a series to a club like Cincinnati in the second meeting between these two teams. Joey Votto has been playing a lot better, right? But this is not a team that, you know, as you mentioned, that, that you can really play around with. I think they need to, they need. these are the kind of wins that you need to just do what you've on. been do, doing all month, Absolutely. Right? Just do it and, and move on because I think the Phillies are going to be an interesting test. They're going to see Aaron Nola, who, as I mentioned, is the NL leader uh, in terms of uh, tie for the NL lead in, in terms of pitcher war. Um, this staff has been much better, I think, you know, than anyone thought they were going to be. Uh, you, they've been a dynamic offense since Rob Thompson took over. Kyle Schwarber has been out of his mind. 183 winning run created plus since the, Rob Thompson took over. Nine homers. Um, this is going to be a very dangerous uh, Phillies team that they're going to have to contend with. So coming off of this real tough test of 10 games, you get a Reds team that, you know, is, I mean, is really no way to put it uh, outside of putting it. They're just, they've just been bad. So don't have a repeat of earlier in the season. They do not need to do anything but win against a team that is 16 games back in the NL Central. No, they do not. As I was looking at the Braves' probable pitchers earlier in the afternoon getting ready for the show, I noticed that Tuesday was to be determined. I don't know if that's been cleared up yet uh, by the Braves, but Wednesday it would be Kyle Wright, then Thursday Ian Anderson. So that would be Charlie Morton's spot on Tuesday, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see if that was maybe a clerical error or just something to where they're thinking about, hey, are there opportunities to give guys extra rest, to spread them out between starts? Would that be something to where you'd – Look to work in one of your younger pitchers in order to just, you know, give everybody a little bit of extra going into the All-Star break because the Braves may have an off day on Monday, but then those are few and far between until you get to the All-Star break. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Morton's, you know, the strikeouts have been there of late, but he's still, you know, had a run where, you know, he'd been allowing, uh, you know, four at least four earned runs over a time period. So I think, you know, whether or not you feel like, you know, maybe he needs an additional day, uh, that could be a play here. You know, there's been talk about whether is Kyle Muller ready to get another opportunity. So, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of options here. Th- these are going to be some tough matchups, though. Against the, you, they got Zach Wheeler going on Tuesday. Zach Wheeler's been you know fantastic, uh, to, you know, to this point. I mean, he's the, was the NL pitcher of the month, tied for fourth in FanGraphs WAR among NL pitchers. 
Um, so and then you're going to have Ranger Suarez is going to be pitching in this series as well against Ian Ander- excuse me against Kyle Wright, and then you got Ian Anderson going against Aaron Nola. So um, this is going to be a, a tough series against a team that's going to have something to prove now. They need to show that they can go out and win games, knowing that Bryce Harper is going to be missed for a uh, you know, yet-to-be-determined amount of time. So th- this could be a Phillies team with a chip on their shoulder going against the Braves. Yeah, and Kyle Muller has been terrific in the month of June. He has limited his walks. He is up the level of strikeouts. He's absolutely dominating for a AAA Gwinnett. But if you look at Muller, he pitched last on the 25th, which was Saturday, so that would not line him up for a no. start on Tuesday. So that wouldn't be the move. And again, it could be a clerical error type thing. It could just be a wait-and-see type deal because probable pitchers are – just what they are, as they say, with the lineup. It is subject to change. So uh, that's the way that things line up for the Braves, who, of course, will be sending Spencer Strider to the mound on Sunday with a big test, biggest to date for him, against the Los Angeles Dodgers before opening up that three-game set with the Phillies after the off day. Uh, Braves entered Sunday five games back of the Mets. New York has already lost on Sunday, so the Braves have a chance to make good on that if they win the series against the Dodgers. And that, of course, as we know, Corey, is always a tough battle between those two teams. Yeah, I mean, this, the, the Dodgers and the Braves, I mean, this is the, a series, a, a rivalry that's been building over these past few years. I think the Spencer Strider start is just, the Dodgers had never faced him before. Um, got The Giants lit up that fastball, hit 500 against it with a homer and a double, but they were hitless against the slider. That's been his best pitch on the season, a 125 average against. Um, I, I think how Strider's able to set that pitch up against a really good Dodgers lineup is probably going to determine what happens in this outing. Yeah, and the Braves, of course, have already seen the Dodgers out in Los Angeles. Now they're seeing them here in Atlanta, which means the next time these two clubs would meet it would be much later in the season when the games don't get much bigger. So it'll be interesting to see who takes two out of three in that series on Sunday night. Uh, once again, as the Braves are getting ready for Sunday night baseball, no Ronald Acuna Jr. in the lineup, but uh, we mentioned that Eddie Rosario's out on a rehab assignment. We talked a little bit about all the different machinations you might have to make if you're Brian Snicker to get playing time for various outfielders, but I also want to bring up Tyler Matzik because when you think about the Braves' bullpen and how big of a role that Tyler can play in that group, you definitely need to have him back as soon as you can. A healthy Tyler Matzik would help out A.J. Minter, would help out Kenley Jansen, would help out Will Smith, would help out every other high-leverage reliever that the Braves are throwing out there because that is one of their biggest weapons. He will begin a rehab assignment Monday in Augusta. Um, you know, he'd been cleared for game action, tossed a live batting practice session on Saturday. Uh, he'd you know, been out, obviously, with shoulder inflammation. He hadn't, wasn't really the same guy before he went on the I.L., no. so I'm going to be interested to see how he bounces back here. Um, you know, certainly that, uh, that four-seamer of his is just such a big weapon, uh, was not nearly as effective with that pitch as he was a year ago. So what, what they're able to get out of him and how quickly, because as you mentioned, there's a, there's a trickle-down effect when you get a guy like him back in that bullpen, uh, you know, how much you're will, needing to use guys in high-leverage situations. So uh, he was such a big part, as you know, of, uh, of being there on hand to watch him against the Dodgers and the mm-hmm. NLCS of, of really you know, all the celebrations that went into Atlanta uh, over the last uh, eight months. So uh, to get him back and what it's going to mean for that bullpen as a whole, I think is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's another one of the big things. And talking to Kenley Jansen, of course, if you heard our discussion or my conversation with him earlier in the show, you know, Kenley was talking about, you know, and, and the joke is always, oh, when we get our injured players back, it's like a trade deadline for us. But when you think about the Braves injured players who could be coming back, headlined by Eddie Rosario and Tyler Matzik and Mike Soroka, 
those are some pretty big additions. That's outside of what you might do at the trade deadline if you're Alex Anthopoulos. And if we've learned anything from Alex Anthopoulos, it is that he is looking for ways to make his team better and figure out what those ways are and where those deals are. He is going to be aggressive, but I, I think it's going to be a, a calculated kind of, a, kind of aggressiveness this time. Last year, you had to remake the outfield mm-hmm. because you were down Acuna. You had to make some moves there. This time around, I think if he does anything, it's probably going to be uh, in, in terms of what they're able to add in the bullpen. I don't really see them going out doing anything from a position standpoint. Yeah. Um, that, that, to me, is the one area where maybe, and Massey could be the, the guy that changes that, but I think they could get a tad bit better there. Oh, and one other name I need to throw in the comeback list? Ozzy Albies, of course. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the, the Curacao native yep. along with Kenley Jansen. Those two like playing with each other on this team and would like to get back to being on the same diamond at the same time moving forward. So, Braves will be hoping to get to fuller strength as the season wears on, but they'll also be looking for all the wins they can get in betwixt now and then. Another great show uh, here on From the Diamond. And, Corey, I appreciate you as always. Look forward to doing it again next week. See if the Braves come in with a, a little bit tighter grip here in, in this uh division against the Mets. We'll see what they're able to do as this is the end of From the Diamond for this week. We appreciate you joining us. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. For Corey McCartney and for our producer Garrett Chapman, I'm Grant McCauley. Thanks for listening for From the Diamond. We'll catch you next week on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Oh,